Welcome to Fire Breathing Kittens, a actual play tabletop role-playing game podcast where we play a different system in every episode. Today is a very special episode because we're doing a review of all of the games that we've played this quarter. I'm joined here with the person who plays Ava. Hi. The person who plays Lothario. Hello. And the person who plays Chico. Hello. To give you a quick list in the beginning, sort of like a table of contents, we're going to be talking about a storm, a ship, and a one-way trips system D6 feet under, stop dragging my heart around system relic hunter, the potion commotion system swamp troll witches, so then I started blasting system lasers and feelings, X marks the spots system fairy heist, deli of the beast system shepherds, sworn to be wild system iron sworn, HR Violations in Space System Superpunk, Trick Me Drifts System Crash Pandas, Blues Oozes System Imperium Magisterium, Minesweeper System Ironsworn, Sanctuary System Ironsworn, the two Dungeoneering games, Dungeoneering, and Hair Raising Wedding New Edo. So those are our games today. Our format is that our members wrote some feedback for us, and us four are going to present it to you, the listeners. We're going to read what they wrote, and we'll chime in with some feedback of our own if we have it, if we feel like it. <laughs> so, Chico, can you start us off by reading what the person who played in A Storm, A Ship, and A One-Way Trip wrote about the game D6 Feet Under? Sure. For A Storm, A Ship, and A One-Way Trip, the game system was D6 Feet Under. I like this system. I enjoyed the idea that death might not be permanent. That's actually added a lot of depth to the game, as you have a high chance as coming back as another being when you die complete with a suite of new powers. I will be running this in my spare time for sure. I think that the high lethality of this system does not lend itself well to long-term character pieces, though, like FBK. I found the combat tracking to be a little obtuse anyways, but this was masterfully circumvented by our GM for the session, but making it more about a puzzle than a combat. I'm totally fine with guns being the primary damage dealing device, but in a setting where melee weapons seem to be preferred by many characters, it was a little difficult to make those characters fit in with this system. As a standalone system, though, I think it works really well in a Western cowboy setting. The things I think could have been worked on would be the combat tracking and the flow of combat in general. I felt it a little finicky and obtuse. Maybe I am too enriched into more traditional combat flow, but I was not a huge fan of that one. Overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it enough that I want to run it for my personal table in the future because there isn't enough. Sorry, there is enough good stuff in it to keep me coming back. Yeah, and Lothario, you were the player. You were a player as well in that episode. What were your thoughts on D Six Feet Under? Indeed. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. The high lethality, uh, given that we didn't know, for a spoiler alert for those who haven't heard it, uh, that we were going to be coming back repeatedly, uh, I was very miffed about how quickly I died. However... You had just made that character. You were like, I just uh, made Lothario. Yes. Yes. And then he was gone. And I was like, well, I guess I'm making a new character. Uh, I will agree with that sentiment, though, from from a long-term perspective in our format. Uh, this doesn't seem to lend itself well because if you think about an Old West setting, there's a, there's a lot of danger, there's a lot of death. But within that system, the, the opportunity to explore a character, and I guess we're traditionally less cautious as characters in the game. So 
uh, it was a learning opportunity for me to not jump in and be foolhardy, although you may see more foolhardiness in the future. Um, I liked it. And uh, the, the simplification with the type of dice used and how often they were used and when they were used, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Thank you for that feedback. As the game master of that system, I will say it was the first non-Dungeons & Dragons game I had played in a really long time because we ran Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition for like a few years for our podcast. And I just loved not being able to play 5e to be able to like talk your table into picking up this new RPG being like, it's only four pages long. Join me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can't see what my hands are doing right now, but it's reminiscent of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. And, um, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so like a four page game, getting them to just like be able to play it. And, and the density of rules in that four pages, ah. Oh kissing motion yeah like just the density of rules i love that like i didn't have to read a bunch of fluff every sentence mattered to your interpretation of how the rules worked so i liked it all right next round us uh, any any thoughts on a stormy ship and a one-way trip d6 feet under no i just liked it i just liked the episode <laughs> that was so fun yeah mm-hmm. all right so stop dragging my heart around featuring the game relic hunter Ava's player. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So no one, uh, no one wrote anything for that one, but like I've got some thoughts on it, and y'all know I love to improv. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, uh, Relic Hunter. Um, when I first learned about this system, I learned that it's actually based on this uh, old TV show. Uh, so it was pretty funny. I was I kept on trying to find references to it. <laughs> Seems like it's a funny show um but yeah it's basically um it it feels very modern or 1950s ish it's very pulpy it's meant to be like a pulpy game literally get i think points for doing things like pulpy like one-liners (laughs) etc there's um i i find that the weapons that you can get are mostly guns like you would expect from a system that's geared around that kind of genre uh, but, you know, with the right DM and the right kind of table, you can circumvent that and play in a fantasy game by giving your character a gun or uh, making Hellfire, making a gun flavored as Hellfire, which is what I did with uh, with Ava. And that was pretty fun because I like just being like, I rain Hellfire on them and just basically shoot a gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was um, it's a bit weird rolling multiple different types of dice like 2d4 versus 2d6. Um, and the stats were kind of tricky to get our minds around. They don't have a character sheet, so we had to make one. Um, make one up. I ended up finding a pretty good template, actually, for it. Uh, would recommend that template. Uh, the DM really did a good job with that. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And one thing that I thought was really fun was I rolled a crazy number using just 2d6s and adding a modifier from smoking cigars. I think I rolled like a 22 or something like that <laughs> using a, a system that uses 2d6 and just scared the living hell out of some cultists. That was like the highlight of the game. <laughs> so uh, I, th- I think that was hilarious. Um, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I like that you can... Um, that when things give you a positive modifier, they also have drawbacks. So I kind of I like the system where you can use items, but then they'll have some kind of mechanical benefit and uh, drawback. That's a pretty cool system, and and that way and the character creation 
is very geared around archaeology and relic hunting. So definitely right for those kind of games. Yeah, I, I'd play it again, but it just depends all on the GM and the setting. <laughs> if I wanted a pulp game with any GM, then I would do that. If I wanted a fantasy game, it would have to be someone who, was, who would adapt the system to the setting. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I'm really glad you were here because I did not play in that one. So I'm like, I'm so glad it was here because, yeah, it sounded really smooth to listen to as a listener. Like, I don't feel like you guys stumbled over the rules all that much. No, because yeah. they were pretty simple, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like this. I really, really loved the setting of that episode mm-hmm. being inside cool. the dragon stomach. <laughs> yeah. And the ships and the, and the stomach acid being like this dangerous like version of like sailing through it's kind of like a circle of hell but not yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i I definitely vibe with that and then the fact that like some people literally literally threw themselves into the vat of stomach acid instead of facing me was just like and i loved a little i loved all the silly banter between you guys but that's more of you guys as role play and not really the system but it's good that the system allows for role play like that well any game does Exactly. I found the mechanics didn't detract from the roleplay at all, and in some cases mm-hmm. they like added to it, which is always a good thing with systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, encouraging pulpy, witty one-liners with mechanics, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We are moving on to The Potion Commotion, an episode about swamp troll witches. Chico's player, would you like to read the feedback? And then Lothario can give some thoughts? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Well, personally, I love this. This was actually the first episode I, the player, listened to. And it's it got a special spot in my heart. But yeah. Huh. <laughs> so yeah, for Swamp Troll Witches, uh, the episode was the Potion Commotion. This system is campy and I love it. It feels very salvic folklore, of which I'm a huge fan. Our GM ran a really fun session and the structure was easy to understand and it was engaging. I liked how there were different facets of the day where certain activities happened at certain times. There was a time to adventure, a time to relax, and a time to sell your potions at the night market. There is also a journaling version outlined in the material for solo play that is unique and I have not seen it used in any other RPG. I can imagine a group getting together every week and reading their journal entries and then playing in the night market section at the table that night. The concept of losing HP is really interesting, too, since you do not die. You simply run out of energy and have to go home and relax and recuperate. I really like the image that creates of a witch gathering ingredients was having a challenging day. She just gets fed up and goes home. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that does not lend itself to a campaign like the other ones we run for FBK, though. I think we should run this again as a little treat, but having an epic story based around the system would be difficult. My final thoughts are that this RPG is novel and really dialed in on what it wants to be, and it hits every mark. I have a soft spot for this one. I hope we get to play it again. I have, I have that same thought. Huh? It nails it, like exactly what it's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And Lothario's player. I will echo a lot of the same sentiments. I think one of the primary things that I enjoyed is as we were delving into new systems outside of D&D 5e, uh, the the prospect of reading a bunch of rule manuals seemed off-putting to me. But this one, in addition to uh, D6 Feet Under, very short, concise, but but rich. Like It was very easy to pick it up and understand. Everything was very clear. Uh, the solo play possibility I enjoyed. 
I also like that there's no, you don't really die. You just kind of get pooped and then you have to recover. Um, and I also like the way that in setting up the character, you have different proficiencies in different arenas. And so from a role play perspective, it really changes how well different characters can do certain things. And, and I think it was incorporated very well in the potion commotion episode. I really enjoyed it. Um, Although I like the fact that you get tired instead of dying, it does seem to lower the stakes uh, versus some other RPGs. Like, there's never imminent danger of death just because of the way it's set up. And so, if you're cool with that or if you prefer that, um, I think it's very good. Yeah. I just remember the character roleplay from that one was so good. Was that the one where Rufus was afraid of trains? Or was that a different... Yes. (laughs) That was a good, yeah. That got me wanting to figure out the reason behind the fear of trains. And then I had to go back and listen to Storm <laughs> Ship and Ship Noi Train. Yeah. Oh, man. My favorite part of the group is the people. I mean, you guys are awesome. Obviously, I'm, I'm just going to have fun regardless of what games we play. Uh, so the next game is, so then I started blasting lasers and feelings. I guess I'll read this one. It says, the simple one-page design is easy to learn, and the gameplay, including the combat, is so smooth. Each decision comes down to a yes or no chance of success based on how far along you are on the spectrum from lasers to feelings. The more lasers, the less feelings. The better you do on one type of roll, the worse you do on another. Sounds simple, but the result is a fast-paced combat and exploration system that never dropped the ball on tension by stopping to look up rules. Lasers and Feelings is genuinely very fun to play, and I would play it again. Yeah, I agree with that. That was the game where Eddie's player had to be like, no, put down the guard. (laughs) You have snowballed yourself into a dangerous situation. No, (laughs) step away from your victim. One one thing that sticks out to me was your character. Like, no, Deidre, shut up, shut up. And then you just knocked her out. I love that. I love... Yeah. The, the, the system is, really encouraged me to get... It's hurtful. Yeah. It, it, so I think the not stopping to look up rules really lets you get into a depth of role play with that game. That like, it's it's hard to achieve that depth of immersion and role play with systems where you're constantly spending five minutes, you know, every half hour looking up something. And Lasers and Feelings has that, that fun quality to it that not every RPG does. Like, they're all fun, but, like, are they that fun? Like, this mm-hmm. one's really, really, really fun. Yeah. There was no squabbling either, I think. Like, you don't squabble over rules with lasers and feelings, like, at all. Which is, like, a like if I could give a game a gold star for not being an argument generator, lasers and feelings gets the gold star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any other thoughts, or should we move on? Is there, like, a fantasy version of it? Because it sounds very, like, sci-fi, at least from the name. It is very sci-fi. Um, that's a good question. We should look into that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those one-page RPGs that just have one mechanic, um, I'll talk about Super Punk later, where you think it's going to be like that, but it's not. <laughs> it is an argument generator. Oh. It, there's the potential with any one-page RPG to be smooth and seamless like that. We should look into more of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you, uh, Ava's player, do you want to read the feedback for X Marks the Spot Fairy Heist? Okay, sure. Yeah, can do that. For X marks the spot, very heist, uh, someone wrote, 
There aren't enough heist games. It would be interesting to see Fairy Heist expanded to include solid mechanics for how enemy actions, such as searching for and capturing the players, might work. Yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts? Uh, I do. <laughs> uh, I was on that game, and I have several thoughts. Uh, I love heist, the concept of a heist game, and so I was excited to play this. Um, some things that I found interesting but don't fit well with the format that we have as a podcast would include the mapping system because it was very hard to communicate for our, from the GM to the players where we are or how we're going. And I do appreciate you, the GM, that uh, <laughs> you tried different mm -hmm. paths. You tried different iterations of a map system so that we could stumble through in different ways, <laughs> um, which I, I thought was great. Um, I will echo the sentiment of there was not as much clarity as far as how much you can move in one turn or, or what happens when you're caught by the, the giant people or whatever. And so I think it's, it, it was a lot of fun, but it's just, there was something about it that just didn't quite capture me as much as some of the other ones did. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I would love to see the amount of detail that the creator put into giving players abilities because the ability section of that game is really in depth. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that amount of effort and like the item. There's like a bunch of items that you can steal and there's a bunch of abilities you can use to steal them. But the I think the NPC section, like the the NPC section where the enemy stats are could use that level of love where mm -hmm. how how much do enemies move? How long can they grab you? When do you escape versus when they grabbed you? You know, um, the specific mechanics of the en enemy and player interactions could use that level of love that was put into other parts of it. Yeah. Agreed. And then, yeah, mapping on a theater of the mind is, uh, whoops. <laughs> yep. My bad. I picked a game that literally <laughs> requires a map. <laughs> <laughs> no, I well for for the game system itself, it's good. Like mm -hmm. if that's what you want to play around the table, I think it's excellent. If you want to start a podcast <laughs> that does tabletop role playing games, this is not probably the the choice. Or maybe like having a I will find a map making method one day where I can Ooh. convey it with words, but I don't have it yet. <laughs> so we're not. The, I don't know. But I tried three different ones. Do you have a favorite of the three maps that I tried? The first room with the giant sleeping rat mounds, and then you guys going past the sentry in the P-shape, and then, like, curling mm. your way around to cufflinks. And then the second one was the every room's a square, let's make dots. Oh, yep. that, that was, bothered that was my favorite. me so much. Oh. Until, until I saw your example, because I was trying to do it myself. I was like, that, that, and then when I realized what you're trying to do, I was like, I see what you're trying to do, but... Uh oh, and then Ooh. there was the last, the last <laughs> one where I was like, I will use words to describe it. I have the word hallway and a line between the word hallway and the word kitchen. <laughs> the last one was my favorite from a storytelling standpoint. The second one was my favorite because I love the game Dots. <laughs> <laughs> dots is good. I love Dots as well. Yeah. All right. Delhi of the Beast, which used the Shepherd's role playing game. I don't think Lothario was in this one. Can you read it? Uh, certainly. Thank you. So, uh, Shepherds is very good at portraying anime and JRPG tropes in a pen and paper format. The names of the abilities are funny and on point. I did have a hard time figuring out what everything did, but I enjoyed playing it. 
I think if I made a character in more of the vein that the system was made to emulate, I would have been more effective. I think that says more about me than the mechanics, though. I think the DM gave us all an opportunity to shine with our varied abilities and skill sets. It also allowed us to showcase the depth this system has to offer. I do think the system could be used for a long-term campaign, as it does have significant progression and deep combat and social abilities. I do think the learning curve could be a lot for some people, or at least me. If I sat down and really got into the system, I would run this at home if I wasn't the only, uh, if I wasn't the only week in a, my friend group. Right. Here we are. Yeah. I think I'm the only one here who is a player, and then we'll hear some thoughts from the GM. Okay. So as a player, I, I started out being like angry at how many pages there were. Uh, the more pages, the higher the rage. If you guys don't know me as a person, I'm basically like a ball of rage either set to like waiting or active. So that's my base emotional state. <laughs> so the more pages, the more rage. We'll talk about Nuetto later. Um, so, <laughs> But anyway, there were a lot of pages, but it was my first Powered by the Apocalypse game that I'd ever played too. So like, I was also like, what is going on with these pages? I don't know. And then there was like a magic system and water is the stat for magic, but you don't use like but i'm like a fire person or whatever but you like you don't use your fire to do your magic you use like water to do your magic and i'm like but why am i a fire person if I, <laughs> it's like it really frustrated me it's my i started out frustrated right and i entered the game at a base level of Arr. and then i played the game and i was like i am being mechanically rewarded for talking about my character with the other players and it went from a game that i was frustrated with to a game that might be my f it's definitely my favorite powered by the apocalypse game i've ever played i'll say if, that by far if because... i could speak oh, oh I'm yeah sorry. yeah go ahead I, I just want to speak with that with what you just said that moment when you guys were sitting around talking i love that so much because yes. that embraces everything fire bring the kittens is all about there are some yeah. things that iron sworn that have the same kind of like mechanics where it's like you know you're on your journey personal journey but i think uh shepherds did so much like the personal between each of the party members. I love that, by the way, yeah. what you just mentioned. So yeah. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I just wanted no, to say no, that. Yeah, me too. That was my favorite moment, not just of that game, but of many games where Barton for the poor, like <laughs> fourth iteration child robot to replace a dead child. Like, holy cow. I didn't uh, tear up, but I might have teared up a little. You didn't hear me say that. But anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very good. And the fact that we got like a plus one, which is a very big deal in that system it's it's like at some point i think by the end of the game i had like a plus three and i was like i am unstoppable <laughs> because i talked to my friends and i like ran into you know, like, it was really good i often tell people who are looking for a game that mechanically rewards good role play that shepherds is that game yeah mm -hmm. okay now from the gm <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as a GM, I echo that because um, one of my biggest goals as a GM is like to get the players to interact with each other and to like do stuff together and like go to a goal together. So um, I had a lot of fun DMing that system. I also, I don't think I needed to roll anything. The combat was like, eh, it was uh, interesting. I mean, it worked once you got into it, but the rules are kind of finicky for it. Uh, char yeah. Character creation, um, I find that like, it's interesting, but it's a bit limited. Um, like, in order to really customize your character, you, get, you have to do a lot of work in terms of, like, the sort of, I guess, abilities that you get. Um, in a way, it's, like, a lot of work. In a way, it's not. 
Um, I don't know. I, I didn't create a character in that system, so I can't really speak to character creation, but I was reading the rules and I was like, wow, like, it's not that many choices you can choose from. Yeah, you have to um, pick. It's like Avatar The Last Airbender. Are you yeah. fire, water, air, or earth? Pick one. And I was, I'm looking at my assassin and I'm like, I don't know, is my assassin water or fire? <laughs> I, I, think, I think you went with wind as your primary I thing. I did go with wind. I'm remembering it now. Yes, I went with wind because it was like wind is for devious things. And yeah. I'm like, that's me. Like and then I cunning. looked at the wind stuff and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I ended up using it um, in, in, in a good way. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool with the air, earth, water, fire. Like this elemental stuff I find is is um interesting. It's like uh cute. I like the 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 storyline that I didn't that, that I made was not really probably set to be one of the storylines that they were that they want for this game. But yeah, it's um it, it was fun to GM and I real and I really liked seeing all the characters interact with each other. And you're a fantastic GM. That was a really good episode. Like after that episode, I was like, we do good things here. <laughs> yeah, all I right. love Snowy. Yeah, Snowy. Oh my gosh. Ah. Uh. Yeah, that's one of the better episodes this season. So, Sworn to be Wild with Iron Sworn. Who was a player in that one? I think maybe... That was the Coliseum. That was Rufus, Ava, yeah, and, and you. And The Rock. Okay, so... <laughs> either... Rufus, Ava, and The Rock. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, either Chico or Lothario read this one, and then we the players will comment afterwards. I'll read it. Okay. okay, so Sworn to be Wild, using the game system Iron Sworn. I love this system. I have been looking for an excuse to run this system, and thanks to recent events, I finally had my opportunity. Character creation is really fun in the sense that classes do not exist in the traditional sense. Instead, you have to build what you envision your character would be like. There are no class-locked abilities. You just have to be able to justify how your character would have a particular as asset narratively. Ironsworn is not perfect, however. The system is more lethal than that of D&D, and as such, a long-term campaign can be dangerous for such character survival. There are ways around this, and dropping to 0 HP is not the end, but is more likely than D&D. Initiative and turn order can be tricky, and there is no set turn tracker, and you have to use a bit more of your narrative muscles to suss out what happens in combat leading to variations in DM ruling. I do think we are up to the task. I just feel that some things might not work in another, but that could also be said of D&D &D and every GM is different. Something I think is a huge improvement is that the GM never has to roll a die. This frees up to focus on the narrative and what the characters are doing. Enemy units also do not have stats beyond HP and how much damage you do, which also aids in the running of a game. There is significant character progression and more character agency than D&D, &D, and that is why I do think it's appropriate for a long-term campaign. There is also a vibrant community for Iron Sworn Online complete with homebrew that they call hacking. I have been on the subreddit and found many people very welcoming, supportive, and friendly. I'm glad we decided to go with this. I'm also running a campaign in my in-person group as practice, as we are, and we are having a blast. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. That was player. a lot. <laughs> Ironsworn. That was the first time I had played Ironsworn and Sworn to be Wild myself. I am not surprised to learn that the GM for Sworn to be Wild was on the community because they were like very prepared 
for it in like a way that only talking to other people and practicing the game with your friends allows you to be prepared. And with, a, how long is the rule book for that one? Like more than a hundred pages? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. oh yes, definitely. Yeah. You kind of need help <laughs> if the rule book is that long. So it's good that there is a supportive community for Ironsworn Online. I, I know that a lot of people finding this episode might be finding it because it has the word Ironsworn in it. Like I'm going to put all these games as tags and I bet Ironsworn is the only one that like gets us views. <laughs> um, and, and it is, I should also say this, we took a vote before we ever played any of these games and Ironsworn won for our default game of this year of 2023. So you will see a lot more Ironsworn. Anyone who doesn't want to pick a game can play the default game like here here's a suggested game so the first time playing uh thoughts from ava's player on sworn rewild the episode and the system yeah okay so then the system i loved character creation i found that um i could actually i really got the vision that i wanted for my character more than in dnd which is what i initially made her in like initially she was supposed to be like a warlock rogue kind of multi-class and um, turns out all of the abilities that I wanted, she basically got <laughs> from the <laughs> Iron Sworn game. Like the only thing I would say that's kind of lacking for the game is the magic system. The magic system is a bit more like paganistic magic as opposed to this arcane magic that we're used to in fantasy games. Um, but like I, as a player, didn't really need that for my character. Um, what I got was perfect for what I needed. Uh, as for like the mechanics during the episode, um, the strong and weak hits, like, once you understand it, you pretty much understand it. Uh, the mechanics don't, I find, lend themselves very well to, like, playing cooperatively as much as some other games do. Like, we end all ended up doing our own thing this episode, which, I mean, that could have been a yeah. party thing, but it definitely wasn't, like, mechanics kind of made that easier, in a way. Um, yeah. and almost preferred. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I found, I found that. Um, and I kind of see that because it is a system that works really well in solo play or in group play, um, or like on one-on-one -on -one play, I think it might shine the most when you have few players or just one or two players, um, or just you're a single player. Uh, but I do like the character progression in the system. It's very character goal based. Um, and yeah, I guess if people wanted to progress their characters, they would talk to their DMs about their goals and stuff. Um, Yeah. So I, I like the system. Doesn't feel like it's very cooperative play though. That's the only that I is like. super insightful because like we split up so hard that episode <laughs> that I was a rock. <laughs> I wonder if that's because it's a solo play game adapted to multi people. That's interesting. I wonder if that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I like your thoughts. Yeah, like once again, it could have been like a party thing or an episode thing, but I think the mechanics kind of made it easier to do that. <laughs> We felt comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very true. The game master plus the game plus the players and plus, I think at one point I poisoned flower. Just the madness. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I loved that episode. And, and, and then I bought the flower to use. <laughs> and then we bought the maybe, poison flower. Maybe one day you'll see where, where I used it. Oh, and that's oh, the man. creation of bat moth. I mean, that, that episode, mm -hmm. like it's it's up there for me oh yeah and, and then and then like i my dragon got a feature where malum well he was dragon malum he got a feature where he could grow in size and become like infinitely more um like <laughs> powerful and awesome <laughs> oh yeah i remember that that was a, that was a cool moment also mm -hmm. i love the moment where rufus just used that hair tonic to like grow manly <laughs> yes. chest hair 
And everyone's like, it. ew, we don't want to have that vision. I'm just I'm just cheering at work like, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's very fun. Yeah, that was the potion that he got from the potion commotion. I I just love the callbacks and the mm-hmm. yeah, that was fantastic. I again, the people are my favorite part of this, and we can play different systems all day long, whatever you guys want to do, because it's just fun hanging out. Yeah. All right, but yeah, um, Iron Sworn worked really well in Sworn to Be Wild. I'll say that. Okay. Uh, HR violations in space. Superpunk. I think I'll have Ava's player read this one because Lothario and I were players, so then we'll comment. Sure. Okay, so, and Superpunk. Superpunk lets you add dice to your roll, but it's up to debate exactly when you're able to add those dice. The player is motivated to root for more dice, while the game master fights back against the risk that the player might have guaranteed success. (laughs) The adding dice system sort of created some tension because the debates it caused and whether or not a dice could be added to a roll. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that one generated arguments. Yeah. Like, so I was talking about how Lasers and Feelings is a one page game that smooths the action and the role play so that you get more immersed in the game. And Superpunk, by letting you debate, it's like, okay, well, do you get to add a dice here because you're super or because you're punk or because it uses what was the third category? So there's like three ways you can wedge your way into that story with getting another dice if you really try. And your GM is like, just stop fighting me. Stop it. And you're like, I get three extra dice. And then the GM is like, no, stop. Calm. I'm doing a hand gesture now. Calm. (laughs) (laughs) And so like the system is argumentative, which is interesting because it is called punk. So I'm like, is this intentional? Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. I, uh, on that very same note, I enjoyed that part because it's like, um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a callback to D&D for me in that rules is written, I should be able to do this. And so you're kind of bantering with the the GM trying to say, <laughs> this is what I want to do. And this is why I should be able to use this uh, property of myself and get more advantage. And I just thought it was fun. And um, maybe that's just because... I'm more argumentative and I take games way too seriously. But if that's you, you will love this game. (laughs) I liked how you were like letting yourself be educated on HR policies. (laughs) It was. I will say for for that game, it seemed weird because you were invisible practically because of your social invisibility. And then uh, Cal is just observing. So I felt like I was having to do a lot more that episode. And so maybe that's why, um, I don't know. It seemed like I had to argue with the GM <laughs> more. I don't know. It was great. I don't know. It, and then my favorite part was at the end when we were like, I, I think I, I woke up after the space station exploded and I was like looking up in the sky at the pieces of the space station, like burning and falling down to earth. And I was like, oh, Cal's dead. And then you were like, yep. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you got to accept what fate uh, has in store for you. Yeah, maybe this will be a lesson. Don't be stupid adventurer. (laughs) But in the mechanics of the game, it gives you one superpower. And for him, he's basically Superman, like Mm -hmm. uh, Clark Kent and Superman. So he's Clark Kent is Cal. And so we did not know our characters did not know that he is invulnerable. So he just like drifted down to Earth. (laughs) What a punk. (laughs) It's it's very super punk is very super punk. 
And then thoughts for oh, our yeah. listener. Did Chico's player happen to listen to that one? I did. And there were a bunch of wacky things like getting like someone voluntarily asking to be kicked in the balls, like maybe <laughs> one too many times. It was just one time. <laughs> it was a weird episode, you guys. It, it was weird. It was weird and funny. And we got Deidre came back and there was a slight rivalry between your character and Deidre. I loved it. When I heard that Deidre was there, Deidre is one of my favorites. That felt so bad that Deidre was like, just kind of kicked to the side and then Deidre's back. Oh, man. I'm glad someone was rooting for her to be back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is Trichomoe Drift, which used the system Crash Pandas. I think maybe Lothario's players should read this one because Chico and I were both players. So we can comment after you do. All right. Here is a review. The author of Honey Heist has done it again by releasing another banger of a one-page RPG. The camp and whimsy of this system is always fun to play. It is simple and straightforward with a lot of incentive for creativity from players. I will be running this as a one-shot with my friends as they all love Honey Heist. But that is just it. This is a one-page, one-shot RPG. That is what it is, is designed to be, and it does it very well. This was never designed to be a long-term storytelling system, and I think it falls into the same category as Swamp Troll Witches. That category... Uh, being systems I want to play again, but as a break from the action of the main system. I love this game, and I was really glad I got to play in it. The cast was great, and the GM was awesome, too. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah, so Chico, you were in this episode. Mm -hmm. and I think this was your first episode. It was my first episode. Another <laughs> very near and dear episode to me. And yeah, uh, it's a simple, sweet blast play. It's a one-page game with tons of potential. I could see this being played out as a, I could I could actually see this being played out as a long play campaign, but not like your typical RPG adventure. It gives off vibes of those kart racing games like Mario Kart with Grand Prix and career modes. I'd love to run or play Crash Pandas with like a four to eight track campaign with rival NPCs. So not a long Ooh. long play, but like a yeah. sort a short to medium length one that would last maybe couple couple months, two or three months. And what I liked is. The mechanic of having your dice and revealing what you're acting. Because there are six types of actions. I think it's brakes, turn left, turn right, accelerate, use an item or other, which is just yeah. another action. And you have to you hide that and you hold it up. And then the GM asks everyone to reveal and you reveal what the number is. And whatever's, whatever's happening on track at that moment, you do it. So it's a lot of chaotic Especially in the beginning, it's very chaotic because you don't know what everyone's going to do. But pretty soon you get like a, a custom of what everyone in the team's going to do. Like, for instance, my character Chico was later because I, I was the only one hitting the brakes. So I was known as the brakes guy. So everyone could rely on me. Like, <laughs> yes, if the brakes need to be hit, it would be me. And then um, Catherine, who was your character, um, she was known as the saboteur. So she was always like going to be jumping different places and doing something. So you can never rely on her to hit the gas or anything, but you knew she was going to be doing something to help. So we got kind of an idea of what all the characters were going to do, what each other. And it really made that again, like some of the good games in this, in, uh, fire, Breathe the kittens, the ones that bring all the characters together to work in tandem. Um, yeah. some possible reflavoring. You can, flavor this however you want. It doesn't have to be four raccoons in a race car. It could just be <laughs> the four adventurers like driving one big vehicle like 
Remember all the other vehicles we were going up against? They weren't raccoons. They were just, I just imagined like a little, little Mario Kart in the middle of like these four <laughs> big monster trucks piled with like multiple <laughs> people. So I can see that still working. It doesn't have to be raccoons. Okay. And instead of just, you have your two items, you could have like little magic boxes that drop random items like in Mario Kart, of course. Or you can like just go around and like buy items. I don't know. You could flavor however you want, but that's about all I change. Then I forgot one last thing. Um, the action points. So as you do well, you occur action points and you can spend that as a group together to do a specific thing that you don't have to guess on. So it's not just chaos. It balances out the chaos with some teamwork. It's, it's like every time you do that thing, you get a chance to like revealing the dice and the actions, you know, whatever happens out. But then after that, you can react by coming together and spending action points to do something spectacular, like speeding ahead of someone or cutting it, making a shortcut out of something or some kind of some kind of trick or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Which you might need to do, because if you don't turn properly, you may spin out. Mm -hmm. And it's that it fits into that nice little niche category of arcade racing TTRPGs, which I don't think there are any others. <laughs> So it's a very, so. <laughs> very niche category, but I would say there's nothing else out there like it, but it nails what's attempting to do. So mm -hmm. I'd rate this as a perfect game, like a five-star game. Not the best TTRPG out there, but, and if you're looking to play a Mario Kart-like TTRPG, this is the one. Definitely check it out. And it's a one-page <laughs> game. I totally agree. I was talking to someone about the reveal aspect where you've got everyone in the group making a choice and it's a secret and you all reveal it at the same time and each person only turns the car by 30 degrees. If you imagine a right angle is 90 degrees, it would take three of the people turning the car to turn the car right or left. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any other collector reveal games. And I really like that aspect to it. And I, if that collective reveal aspect was included in more games, that would be cool. Uh, I, exact opposite of Chico, I felt less secure predicting the reveals of my comrades the longer I played. So it started out like, it doesn't matter. I'm sure they'll press accelerate, right? And I hopped onto the other car, right? And by the end, I was like, I had better press the brakes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm terrible at reading people. Like I just like me as a person, I don't understand humans or AI or intelligent anything. I don't, I don't understand motivations or like what you're going to do. I can't predict it. So that game was terrifying for me on a whole new level that no other game has been, which is, are we going to turn? <laughs> are we going to drive into that wall? Are we going to break? Wait, hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> and you're not allowed to talk about it. So it was it has the aspect of if you play board games, there's a game called Secret Hitler. There's a game called Coup. There's a game called The Resistance. There's a game called Saboteur. Those party secret role games where you're trying to figure out what the other person's going to do and you're like what are you doing what are you what are you doing are you hitler that game <laughs> this crash pandas has the part of secret hitler that i love which is there's more than one level to a game there's the rules of the game and there's the people you're playing the game with and crash pandas is going to be very different depending on who you're playing with <laughs> so mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I would play that again, and I would play collective decision-making games more. If if more collective decision-making games exist, tell me about them. I love that. That's really cool. All right. Ava's player, do you want to 
read the thing that somebody wrote for Blue's Ooze System, Imperium Magisterium? Yeah, I'll do it. All right. Okay, so about Blue's Ooze, Imperium Magisterium. This is possibly the most customizable character creation of all the systems we played, with New Edo following right behind, or New Edo following right behind. There are more than 300 cards to choose from for your character. The customization was really nice, and the dice rolling system we used where you can expend a card to add to your roll ended up working really smoothly. One thought for the creator is that it might be nice to get a skill grid for the ability cards. For example, in the game Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X, there is something that looks a bit like a node diagram. Node diagram. The ability to use a new skill might be locked behind a prerequisite of first learning a different skill. You get a real sense of progress when you gain enough experience to advance the skill grid, and it gives you a real sense of free will to be able to see the whole grid and choose your path to reach the final destination and the high-powered ability you've been wanting for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Thoughts from a player, Lothario's player? Uh, I'll say that in the character creation bit, it was very flexible and really exciting to, to really customize the player how I wanted uh, the one issue I ran into was the fact that there were so many symbols that meant different things that weren't exactly clear as to the purpose or how it would be implemented in gameplay, given that I had not played before. And so it took a lot of communication, I think, offline before we even started to kind of understand what the different things meant. And even in-game, there was some of that conversation. So I think that slowed it down a little bit, but beyond that, the ability to use those uh, ab abilities was really enjoyable, and I had a, a, a very good time, and I need to really think about more offensive abilities and spells whenever I'm in a situation like that again, because I had zero. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. You can add your plus one to your dice roll with a lot of different abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that the symbols were a barrier and i think that if you add a word next to each symbol as a glossary page like so you have a list like maybe a two column page and it has the word in like plain language like heart you know or broken heart or like you know sword or like you know turret and you had these like words and then you had the symbol and then you had the page that like in this glossary on this one page list that you could read what that thing means. That mm -hmm. would be a really great addition to the game. If you guys have never played Gloomhaven, it's a game where you have a board, like walls of a dungeon and squares that you occupy and squares that the enemies occupy. And then you have like seven cards in your hand or like nine cards in your hand. And when you have a turn, you can either play a card out of your hand or you can pick up your entire discard pile. And I love the Gloomhaven mechanics a lot because at first it's very obvious. You play your best card, you know? Okay, I'm going to do this, right? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. And you do it and you're excited. And then you, you, it dawns on you that you do not have your best card anymore. And everything else you have in your hand is progressively less appetizing, right? Like eating dessert first, you're like, what do I have left? <laughs> do I pick up my best card and then my second best card and my third best card? And then you start, you get down to like your fourth best card is in your discard. Do I spend my entire turn picking up my, and it's very fun to play, which is hard to quantify. It's, it's one of those things that isn't explicitly written down, but once you've done it, you can put a name to, which is the, the, 
freedom of choice and all of the permutations of calculation that you could do. Well, if I play my sixth best card, I can do a pickup every seven turns and then I will have, you know, <laughs> mastered my card playing rate, you know, <laughs> like, and then to be able to cut a card out of your hand to say, well, this is my worst card. I hate this card card. You can go die in a fire and then you can upgrade your hand. You can get a better card. A skill tree is a great idea because then you can be like, okay, I've got these five cards and this fifth card really sucks and I never play it. I always pick up my hand instead. You know, I'm going to upgrade my fireball into firewall explosion of the wall. It'd be so much better. And then like, like I could definitely see this being my favorite game, like period, because I love Gloomhaven so much. Um, so Gloomhaven, the RPG, like the tabletop RPG has so much potential and so that's what I see in Imperium Magisterium is like you can train yourself up to anywhere you want to be, you know? Yeah. Any thoughts from anybody else on Imperium Magisterium? Mm. Nope. All right. Minesweepers. So Chico's player, you were in Minesweepers. Mm. What are your thoughts on Ironsworn? Uh, I think it's a good base game for Firebird the Kittens, mainly because of its theming with like... um just working together and like sovereigns and like coming together and what else is there? Oh, just the, like the progression for it, it's good for a long play game, especially with, with things like with fire breathing kittens, but it's really hard to keep track of it because of like how you, so you get certain things like, Oh yeah. The themes being like iron vows and bonds, those mechanics, like, you progress them as you play the game, but it's hard to kind of do that when you only play a few Iron Sworn games like throughout the season. Like we might be doing Iron Sworn more than just a few times, but for each player, it might be two or three times for the entire season. So how do you track that? My idea was like maybe track it through all the other games, perhaps, and keep a point, like track points like... um your bonds because you get bonds by sharing time and um and helping other people out and you get a tick in your bonds and your bonds play into your epilogue at the end of iron sworn so you could track that at the end of every game you're a part of maybe a gym besides just the normal rewards from that system also say oh and you also get a point to your bond in iron sworn that was an idea i came up with but one of the things i had a hard time with when it came to adapting my character to Iron Sworn, is it's really difficult to flavor those asset cards because they're very. Str you can flavor them, but like um, like Ava was mentioning before, it's very hard to. Um, how do how do you say like with the magic? There aren't really offensive spells, or only like those ritualistic spells. So really hard to flavor, like doing a fireball with something. So I had the same thing when it came to like, because Chico uses is a rabbit that uses vegetable weapons. So it's very hard to kind of figure that. I ended up going instead of like a throwing weapon, I ended up just being using a bow, but it's flavored as me throwing carrots. So it's really weird, but it ended up working all right. And it's like the fletching where I can go and make a special type of arrow. It was Chico going out and looking for a special type of quote unquote crop that does a specific thing, like going out and digging a chili pepper from underground. That was pretty cool. The GM did that for me. It was just going to be a potato. But he was like, oh, no, no, a cave <laughs> pepper. I was like, okay, that's cool. 
So there are some cool things that come from like like the flavor, but it's very hard to flavor using that game. And with the way we're running with Fire Ring the Kittens to where we're doing a different system all the time, we kind of have to flavor all the times. And this was a fairly difficult system to flavor, but the themes really fit with Fire Ring the Kittens. That's pretty much my main thoughts about the game. Yeah. Thank you. I think you were the only one of us who were in that episode, so I'm glad that you were able to share your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to Sanctuary, which was the Iron Sworn game number three. We have some feedback. I guess I'll read it. Yeah, I'll read it because it's better than me talking about it. All right. Uh, here's some feedback. <laughs> Having only played once so far, I just wanted to say that I think Iron Sworn could benefit from a version of Advantage. I think that doing a whole separate role just to try and give someone a plus one momentum isn't the best when it comes to aiding an ally. So I think that perhaps if someone's assisting it, allowing you to roll 2d6 and dropping the lowest might work, for example. I like the momentum system, I really do, but it takes so long in-game for it to pay off. I also think having a move strictly for picking pockets slash sleight of hand and maybe even acrobatic type maneuvers would be awesome. I do not think the system is altogether bad, I just think a few home rules could make it more fun to play. The initiative system, I think, is a little confusing for those coming from 5e, and I think perhaps they should have called initiative in this game something else. I look forward to hearing others' opinions. That did confuse me when I was first reading the rules. Like, how's initiative? How do we figure out who goes first? Who go? Who go? It, it's, it's weird because I realized, oh yeah, the GM doesn't actually roll, it's just the players. And it's like, how do you determine? Well, it's it's like, are you having a good day or a bad day? If you're having a bad day, you have to roll defensively. Like, that enemies attack, but you make the rolls. So when you're in a disadvantage, a disadvantage means you're lowest on initiative. So that means you have to roll to, like, avoid an attack. And until you roll, like, a hit, you yeah. don't... You can't go again. So I like the idea, but it's it, like when you're, all, you're snowballing in a downward spiral, you have to try to there. There is a move. I think it was last stand or something. I don't, I don't remember what it was. It's something like you roll a whole bunch and try to turn the tide and it helps everyone out. But yeah, it, it use a bit of and yeah, the, the advantages and the like the momentum and advantages. I was trying to get momentum and trying to build it up for later on. Every time I tried something, something bad happened to Chico. Back in <laughs> in Minesweeper, it's like, oh, I try to go out and forge for for vegetables for a later use. Nope, I get stuck with a sticker. Ow! And then it's like, and I took a little bit of damage. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to hide. Oh, I get, <laughs> I want to jump the gun. <laughs> I like I like that about Chico now. He jumps the gun on everything. Yeah, you've role-played with your uh, mm-hmm. being slept by Iron Sworn well. Uh, so mm-hmm. Lothario's player was the GM for that episode. Do you want me to share my player thoughts and you go, or do you want to go and then I go? I don't know. It's up to you. Um, you can go ahead and go. Ladies first, after all. <laughs> okay. Um, so for Sanctuary, I, I witnessed a player take three turns in a row. The other players didn't go. The enemy didn't go. The player went three times in a row. I'm going to say that's busted and broken AF and I don't like it. <laughs> Rotate. There are no moves for being a good rogue. For sneaking, for stealing, for pickpocketing, for jumping off of a tree and falling a high distance Assassin's Creed style into a bale of hay. 
I was not able to mechanically express how awesome I was, so thankfully my GM let me default to succeeding every time. Which is good, because the rules punish you so hard in Ironsworn. There's a, a class of games, and often they're like the Cthulhu-style games, like Arkham Horror is one of those. Betrayal at the House on the Hill is one of those where you start out with the best stats you're ever going to have in that game. And the longer you play this game, the more your sanity is going to whittle down until eventually you die. And the question is, do you defeat the big bad, the overlord of Relay, before you die? Or as you die? Or maybe not at all. And in a lot of those like Arkham Horror-esque games, you may or may not collectively win the game. And if you do win, you make it out of there a fraction of your former self. And it's fun, and it's its own game, and it's fun. It's not, you know that going in, that everything's going to suck and it's going to be hard. <laughs> like, oh, I got the shotgun. This is awesome. We might beat the bad guy at the end. You know, that's what you're thinking to yourself. We might win. And so Ironsworn is that sort of mindset where it's like, if I roll, I'm probably going to fail. I'm definitely not going to get a strong hit, you guys. Let's be real. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I will not succeed in my attempt. Will I be punished mildly or strongly? Let's find out. This is Iron Sworn. <laughs> you know? So, like, that whole don't even try aspect of, like, the less you do, the sneakier you do this, the fewer rolls you, you make, the more you preserve of yourself. It, that's an, a different mindset for an RPG than the others. I'm just going to point out, one of the things that happened to Errol in that game was that off screen someone he knew and loved died or like something bad happened to a community he loved he failed a role and off screen his mom got cancer like what the heck iron sworn that, so that happened to me too i think Cobal <laughs> died because i failed a sneak roll yeah. or something i forget what the role was but it was like oh <laughs> there, there's like a rumble in the distance i'm like yeah. oh what happened oh someone died oh yeah, so I've accidentally made Arkham Horror our default game for 2023. Good job, everybody. The less rolls we do, the better. Okay, so GM, now now you can take it away. What are your thoughts on Ironsworn? Okay, I'll I'll just try to hit the the points systematically. Number one, as a GM, I really enjoyed it because I didn't have to do any rolling, as was mentioned before, and I was able to focus on the story and the role play uh, with the weak hit, strong hit, and complete miss. I did like that because I did have to come up with, okay, what does a weak hit look like? You succeed, but there's you have to pay the price in some way. Or, you know what I mean? So it kind of kept do. me on my toes as a GM perspective, and it kept the story interesting, I think. Um, I do agree that it seemed very difficult given the roles that ever, the players are trying to make. However, I, in thinking back to the game, I think... When building characters in Ironsworn, there's definitely some affinity that you're aiming for. Like you're a brute warrior or you're uh, like a sneaky rogue. And those archetypes are the types of roles that you would risk doing. Otherwise, you wouldn't. And I think playing more in it, it kind of stratifies what you can do and be successful. And uh, Fire Breathing Kittens, we, we're all over the map as far as trying crazy things. And so I think that's why we failed as much as we did. And it's just how much risk are you willing to accept? And if you were to play this more often, you would probably get used to that cadence. And so it's one of those, okay, this was a learning experience for me and my players, but I think if you played it a few more times, it might start to click. I do agree. The three turns in a row seemed weird and I didn't <laughs> like it, but I have to imagine it was a misunderstanding on our part 
that we didn't understand the dynamics properly. And it's probably not supposed to be that way. Listen back to, I don't think you or I or anybody made any mistakes, man. I think you just, it's an improbable and actual situation. But our listeners who don't exist could comment on this and tell us, send us an email, send us a tweet. Or the game developer, just like, you fools, (laughs) you're supposed to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those are my thoughts. Very, Very succinct. Okay. Um, definitely don't blame yourself. I don't think you did anything wrong in the whole game. Well, I didn't have to roll, so it was perfect. <laughs> of course. All right. Uh, next one, we have two cold boldly go and a shot in the dark. Dungeoneering. Oh, boy. Right. And Ava's player did have to step out, which it just happens. That's life. Um, so I, I think I'm the only person here who was a player on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will have Lothario read the feedback. And All right. there's uh, some typed Feedback for Lothario to read, then I'll talk as a player, and then our GM can talk on Dungeoneering. All right. Uh, this system felt vintage in the best way possible. It was limited, but in its limitations, there was there is simplicity. Simplicity makes for a good RPG when you have so many moving parts in a game session. With only four classes, player customization is scant, but there are very dialed in, and you know exactly what your role is. I played a prophet, and I thought it was very cool. Although we saw some magic items... There are many more in the document that have some really cool effects. It embodies the aspect of delve, kill, and loot, so that you can delve, kill, and loot even better next time. There is a reason this loop has been around for so long, and it is because it is satisfying and fun. This might be personal bias, but I love me a good dungeon crawl (laughs) when I know that I am going to find something good at the end. Long term, though, I feel it might drop off a little bit, as most of the mechanics have to do with combat and not a lot with roleplay, which is fine, because it does what it says on the tin. I feel we would be asking too much of it if uh, decided to stick with this one. I would play this at my table when I'm feeling like being a loot gremlin, which is often. <laughs> I love that review. Delve kill loot. Delve kill loot. Delve kill loot. Dungeoneering. Oh, is that all you had to say? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this is a game that I was planning out as a GM. For quite a, quite a few weeks, about, well, a little over a month, and had plenty of time to work on it, had something really nice, and about halfway through the final week before the game, I realized something now. I want to read this from Dungeoneering's thing. Uh, it's a paragraph in its introduction. Dungeoneering was developed to be played as a semi-casual game between larger games and other systems. The objective of the game is to earn as much loot as possible while traversing a dungeon, which the accumulated gold value of said loot acting as a sort of score, in quotes. Alternatively, players can simply roleplay their characters and win by reaching the end of the dungeon. So I've read the introduction the first time I, w- I got my hands on this book. And with that, I was like, okay, this is just something to adapt in between the games. And we're already doing that with Firebreed the Kittens. So I developed the game like that. And it worked on its own, but there were some things that did not really make sense to me, especially when it came to character creation. It's supposed to be work work between other games, but it's hard to really adapt, like, flavor characters as something. Some characters, especially in, um, what was the name of the second one? Not A Shot to, in to the Dark. A Shot in the Dark, yes. And that one, all three characters had some special flavoring I added just for it to make sense. And I don't think you're supposed to do that. And I realized that halfway through the week, like I'm about to explain. And there are also times where it's a very difficult game. You only need to roll usually just 1d6. And the chances are usually like 
a t- one in three chance for just basic skills yeah. and a two in three chance or a one in two chance for your main skill. If you fail, you just fail. And yeah. that, and if, when you get hit by a knife, you get hit by a knife. It's like real <laughs> life. You get hit by a knife. There was a reason why I had to go and read in kind of at before the game started when I started bouncing out combat. I'm like, whoa. I'm glad I was you like, did. You, had, you had four HP. Yeah. And what your stats were one. Did you know oh, how do you know how poison works in this game? You get poisoned, <laughs> you you lose one in all of your stats. If any of your stats reach zero, you're dead. Um so I didn't include anything poison except the rat daggers, but you could use it. <laughs> before the game, yeah. So before the game, uh, the GM sent me a message and was like, "You know how your HP is like four? Yeah, no, you're gonna die. You, gotta, you we're just <laughs> home rolling. You're gonna have more than four hit points. And then what do you know? I get stabbed by a kobold with a dagger, and I lost four hit points in that stab. And I was thinking to myself, I'm really glad, GM, that you messaged me before the game and had me increase yeah. my hit points artificially to seven because uh, I would be dead. Yeah, rocks were falling at the end of the second game, <laughs> and Olathe, I think it was remaining with one HP." and i just and i was like oh oh well yeah. it's a good thing you guys are at the end that was a good like okay time to leave <laughs> yeah and like i said the the loot kill or whatever that loop was delve kill loot delve kill loot yeah that whole thing it doesn't really work well for role play but anyway um to clarify with what i was bringing up before with the introduction to be played as a semi-casual game between larger games I don't think it's supposed to... Well, I, I believe... It's typically, it's like if you're playing D&D, it's like you just get done with a session. It's like, okay, we need like a something in between to kind of just like get off of D&D and then get back into it. And I believe that's what this main game was mainly made for, was to do that. Not to be played as like, okay, you take your characters from D&D, put them into this situation with these rules and these horrible, horrible items and like the, oh the spells they have those whole, items are they cool have really stupid and funny side effects that are like it's like a deck of many things but in yeah. every spell that's the best way i could describe it it's just it's just like it could completely just destroy everything like you get a permanent effect that means you can't speak anymore so and curses Ooh. like that so i forget what it was but there are a whole bunch of different things like that um but I believe the best way to play this with Firebreathing Kittens is to be played as a larger game or a, a ca- semi-casual game between larger games and other systems or between sis- just sessions in general. I could see this being like being played as the D&D of Firebreathing Kittens, if that makes any sense, and have a session like that where characters in 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 the universe, FBK universe, oh, play like Dungeoneering. Yeah. And the best way I can describe it is if, if you've ever played Mario Party, think of like the interactions between friends and just the yeah. banter and the, and the screaming and the fights with that and kind of translate that into role play with our characters. I think that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Something like that. Competing. It still worked the way I did it. I just think it could have been executed better. Oh, don't be too hard on yourself. I, I, every GM is their own harshest critic. Don't worry. Speaking mm-hmm. of hair raising wedding, <laughs> the new Edo game. Yes. First off, there wasn't a combat, and my games are always really combat heavy. And I felt like 
I needed more combat in this game and that was me, not the game, because I gave you guys a true out to every combat and all you had to do was say, I'm not getting married and they'd fight you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, I was like, all right, they're not, should I still fight them? No. Why would you punch a groom in the face? You wouldn't. So as long as he says he's the groom, nobody's going to punch his face. No combat happened in this game that was longer than a round. And so that's not fair to new Edo. Uh, But uh, Mm -hmm. you both were players in that. So I guess I'll just read the thing. And then you guys can talk and then I'll GM talk. All right. So here's what's written. The fate rolls ended up happening a lot. You're going to be rolling a lot of them. Taking up time rolling only to say nothing happened started to not feel great. The 300 page rulebook could be arranged differently. Information clustering could be more intuitive. Here is an example. All of the status effects could be listed on a single page, but they're not. You can still find them using the glossary, but not finding them after going to the not fully inclusive page on status effects that only listed some status effects was an impediment. A status effects page that lists all of the status effects could be consulted as a reference anytime any status effect happens. You don't have to remember or find out which ones aren't present on the page. So that would improve role-playing speed access to the rulebook. All right. The non-player character combat statistics for other games sometimes have a difficulty rating or an average number of damage dealt. The game master could use either of these ratings to prepare combat easily and quickly. Estimating average damage dealt when the enemy deals, and I quote, quote, 3d10 plus 1d8 plus 1d4 plus 5 isn't easy for every game master, and listing an average damage would help people who can't quickly calculate that average damage to still be able to design encounters. And written stuff. Okay, so now, you two were players in that game. What did you think of new Edo character design and combat? You got one round of combat. <laughs> oh, you'll let me go first? Um, I, uh, I've, I'm a veteran player of Shadowrun, so if you've played Shadowrun, this is like Shadowrun. A little, sim- a little more, a lot more simplified, I should say. If you're familiar with cyber te- cybernetics and Shadowrun, you know how much freedom you have to make whatever you want. And New Ido, it's it simplifies it down to just you can have this cybernetic or this cybernetic or this cybernetic. They have a wide variety and they have tiers that you can purchase of each one, but it's nowhere near like the scope of Shadowrun. Um, I'm I the magic system in Shadowrun always complicated me, and I just stuck with cybernetics. But the magic system in this, I can't I can't fairly compare them. But I really fell in love with the magic system in this game, especially for like flavoring for however I want it to be. Like I made my crop ninja finally, where he, he had <laughs> all of his different different crops, different vegetables, being a different rote. A rote is like a spell in the in that game what they call rotes instead of familiars they're called kami or Mm -hmm. they can be a kami they can be pets they can be little robots you have a whole pet system system but i really enjoyed making and building the character and the flavoring in this game was phenomenal you could flavor anything out i got one thing of cybernix it's like a um cybernic computer chip in my head and i flavored that as just the the songs that my minstrel npc uh Antonio Vespucci like sung to me and like now I was playing it in my head. That, that's how I was going to flavor. It never came up. But if it was like, well, what side next do you have? Oh yeah, just <laughs> listen to these stories of like of like valiant <laughs> battles, and that's my battles computer in my head. It's just listening to these 
stories. Uh, but, listener, if you'd like to hear that song, Lothario and Pearl performed it in Blue's Ooze. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Antonio Vespucci <laughs> song. Yeah. But, yep. But I really enjoyed making the character. Didn't get to do a lot of combat, but I did get to roleplay my character really well with the story the GM presented. So that was a lot of fun, by the way. Thank so. you. That's good. Okay. And then Lothario was tasting cake. Yes, I was. Uh, some of the time. <laughs> throwing some cake. Um, <laughs> when appropriate. I think um, yeah, I agree with a lot of what uh, was said by Chico's player. Um, what I enjoyed, what was confusing at first for me was it, it, it's, a lo- it's a large rule set, like over 200 pages, maybe even 300. Over 300. Yeah. <laughs> and so the way character creation works is you pick certain elements, lineage and like what class of person you are and what uh, prioritization of different elements you have, like augs or uh, kami or just skills. And based on your ranking, you get different dice or uh, points in certain areas. And so it seemed very scattered when I was trying to put it together. And I finally just compiled a spreadsheet and just had everything connected so that when I modified one thing, another thing would be changed appropriately. And it, I think with practice, I'd probably get better. It's, I'm sure, similar to uh, being introduced to D&D. There's a lot there. And there are now tools that help you with that. And I think I just couldn't find the right tools to help me. And in time, there probably will be. I think uh, I also agree there's a lot of... Uh, there's a spectrum of flavor that... It's it's like a sci-fi fantasy movie combined where you have these um, fantasy elements of tradition and then the sci-fi futuristic augmented stuff and it's all in the same world and they can they can interact in harmony which I thought was really cool, or in, in conflict. Mm-hmm. But um, I also liked how there were predisposed um, alliances that you could be a part of, and that would give you certain advantages. And so you could align yourself with like a more of a mafia-type situation or more of a, like a Buddhist monk-type, and that would give you some other advantage. And it, it just was very rich in what you could do and the type of character you can make. And uh, like Chico's character said, a lot of flavoring possibilities that that made it even more customizable. Like they, they give you a lot and then you can hack it even further if you choose. And I think with that and then the way our story was structured, it worked out really great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my thoughts is the gem. And to give you guys some time to think of this, I'm going to ask you in a few moments what your favorite game this season was. So my thoughts as a GM is that there was not a quick start guide for things. And there could, for 300 pages, you could add a quick start guide. If you could summarize how to play on two pages, what would you put in those two pages? And I would point to D6 Feet Under as an example. Favorite game, time of the session. It, we've stretched on way too long. We lost Ava's player because I I didn't know. This is the first quarterly review of games that we've done. I didn't know how long it would take. In the future, I'll say two hours, um, not one. So noted. Um, sorry. Thank you for sticking with me, Chico's player and Lothario's player. Uh, my favorite game was Imperium Magisterium. What are you guys' favorite games? If I'll go first. Uh, New Edo. I love the potential. Um I enjoyed playing, well, I, I technically have two. Um, Trichomoy Drift, like I say, perfect game, perfect game for what's going out to be. Whoever 
made it. Just want to let you guys know that was amazing. So I wouldn't even really need to change it. Maybe add, an, add a sentence like, and you can flavor it however you want, like items and stuff. That's about the only thing I'd add just to kind of push people in the direction. But you guys did something awesome. So well, thank you guys for doing that. But New Edo, um, really good potential. It's like Shadowrun, a little bit easier to digest because sh- you think New Edo is complicated. Oh, Shadowrun's like, you got to get creative <laughs> pretty much. But but New Edo, <laughs> I love its theme. It has a really good theme. It has a really yeah. good idea. And I enjoyed making my character. And even though I didn't get to do like even a quarter of the stuff I put down, the potential for was awesome. I loved the idea. I loved the ideas of sessions being, being, this would be a good for like a, like a full year campaign if we could do it. New Edo is our current nomination from the group for game to play for 2024. Lotharios player, what was your favorite? I would say um, just, I, I played multiple, I, I have two current favorites which i don't think will be my long-term favorites and then two that i can see would become my favorites uh for kind of the same reason the inverse reason i really like super punk and i really like dick's uh, d six feet under they were simple you could just jump in and you're playing and for me that was very enjoyable there wasn't a lot of hassling about what we had to do or what steps we had to take or what the proper protocol was for certain events and so I was in and I was playing and I was having a great time. Uh, the two that I can see may become more of my favorites would be, based on the ones we played so far, Iron Sworn and New Edo. Just because they're more complex, but I think the more you play them, the more you understand it. And then once you get the dynamics down, it's probably very satisfying. I, but I'm just not quite there yet. Ooh, well, you heard it here, folks. I hope that this was entertaining for everybody to listen to. We're going to try to do these quarterly feedback rules discussions maybe like four times a year because we've started playing a different tabletop role-playing game every session now. And there's a lot to talk about, and it certainly deserves being talked about. I bet people found this very useful, and now they have some ideas for what they can play in their home games and what episodes they want to listen to. And yeah, I this was really interesting for me to participate in, and I hope you guys had fun as well. Thank you, organizer. <laughs> You're welcome, <laughs> participant. Any other thoughts? Or... Yeah? No. Other than, I mean, we can't really talk about any games that haven't been played yet, can we? Oh, yeah. What are you looking forward to the most? You're talking about games we haven't played yet, right? Games you haven't played yet. What are you excited about in the upcoming? Because we're going to do another one of these, and we're going to find out. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to be playing Dragon Slayer version 2. And that game seems like a really fun, promising game. It's similar to D&D, but it's like each skill roll is it's like each rank and skill. You increase just the size of the dice, which is like, how does that work? And it's like, oh, well, the once you look at the probability, like the math behind it, it's like, okay, you go from like a one in four chance to like a one in three chance and then a, like a... Well, I forgot the math, but the chances get just a little incrementally better the higher your skill is in something. And yeah, it's just a pretty simple game. It's like a different flavor of D&D. That makes any sense? Yeah, it's very D&D-esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But not exactly. I'll have to play the game to figure out the differences. Yeah. 
And Lotharius player, which one are you looking forward to playing the most? Uh, if possible, I played Monster of the Week last season, and I really enjoyed it. And so hopefully I'll be able to do that again. Yeah, the GM for that episode got special, like she emailed the creator and got special permission to run it because she was like, can I run your game? This is bad. Don't sue us like Wizards of the Coast. And Monster of the Week was like, we won't sue you. You can run the game on the pod. <laughs> so, so you can run, yeah, you, you, Lothario gets to play in Monster of the Week. Yeah. Just to tell people what the upcoming games are, there's Crowns, Dragon Slayers 2, Foretold, Spectres and Spurs, Brains and Brawn, Ironsworn, Tarobite, Lerps, Lasers and Feelings, Welcome to the WWA, Sexy Battle Wizards, Space Knights, 66, Lucas, Monster of the Week, Heroes of Adventure, Ironsworn, Spellcore Mafioso, Trove, and more Ironsworn. So I hope you like Ironsworn, folks. <laughs> um, the one I'm looking forward to the most, you know, since talking to you guys, I've just realized I need to look up deck building role-playing games because I love them and I want to play more of them. So I'm glad we had this chat. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. This is fun. Just yeah. kind of bantering about. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.